computer. Hi, everybody. It's Barry here again from Turning the Page on YouTube and on my podcast. And today we're doing something very different in that I am interviewing one of our recent blog post writers, Peggy Phillips. And um, it's a real joy to have um, to be able to do this, to talk to Peggy. And um, she's going to read out her her blog post and we'll have a little discussion. So hi, Peggy. Good to have you here. Hello. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. What, a, what an honor. Yeah. Hey, tell us a bit about yourself, where you live, um, who you are, what you do, a bit of your background. People are interested. Okay. Uh, I am a, uh, currently I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for about 15 years. Um, in my previous career, I was a, a print journalist. Um, I grew up in uh, a small town in Kansas, which is smack in the middle of the United States. Um, so a small town. Um, I'm the youngest of a large Catholic family. Uh, I have uh, three children, uh, an older son uh, who's married, has, and he and his wife have five children. So I have five grandchildren. I also have uh, twin sons who are 20 years old, and they're both in college. Um, I uh, left writing um, when I left journalism about 15 years ago, and but I always knew that I would come back in some manner and, and write and do something. And so about five years ago, I decided to just start writing uh, for the pure joy of it to document the interesting things that happen in my life. And um, that evolved into what became my first uh, novel. It's an epistolary novella, a Letters to the Little Flower, The Gift of Spiritual Companionship with St. Therese of Lisieux. Uh, I published it uh, as an indie, pu indie publisher, uh, indie author in uh, November of 2022. So it's been out there for about a year. Um, I, uh, in, in writing my book, I came across a number of mental wellness sites and I found that turning the page uh, with Mr. Mr. Barry uh, was just one of the most inspirational, um, moving, helpful resources I found for mental health. Oh, by the way, I'm a nurse and I've worked in various facets of nursing, but for about the past five years, I've worked in mental health services. Oh, so yeah. I read... I read Mr. Berry's uh, Turning the Page, not only for personal growth and fulfillment, but also because there are a lot of good resources that I can offer to my patients and coworkers too. So awesome. it's a wonderful post. Um, so one day I reached out and said, hey, I appreciate the, all the, the, the content you put out there. And as a result of that, I got invited to write a guest blog. So Yay. here we are. <laughs> and what a wonderful blog post it was. We. Um... I put it out then and had quite a few emails back, just people relating to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to um, ask you, Peggy, to read it out. And um, if you want to add lib any, anywhere and add bits and pieces, go for it. This is your moment. Okay. Oh, okay. So you ready to rock and roll? Okay. Well, let me, I'll just go ahead and get it. Uh... Uh, scroll scroll up here so I can read it. Okay, yeah. so um, I'm just going to jump in here. This uh, this blog is called Coping with Ambiguous Loss by Estrangement. Hmm. And estrangement is a topic that a lot of us, we don't even want to go there um, because it's painful. Yeah. 
But here we go. I never saw it coming. The cataclysmic argument that triggered, triggered my adult son to estrange me three years ago. I might never see it end. The suffering of ambiguous loss of the relationship without closure. Coined by family therapist Pauline Boss, PhD, 40 years ago, ambiguous loss refers to unresolved physical or emotional loss or the loss of a relationship with no closure. Unresolved closure might involve a physical loss with a psychological presence when a loved one's absence is unknown, uncertain, or unresolved. Likewise, a loved one might be physically present but psychologically absent because of dementia, traumatic brain injury, addiction, or mental illness. So too, the ambiguous loss may encompass physical and emotional loss because of divorce, adoption, estrangement, incarceration, immigration, or ghosting. Such loss is especially grievous around the loss of, a full, of what was once a fulfilling long-term relationship, such as my circumstance. Three years ago, after the meltdown with my 34-year-old son, an occasional flicker of hope for contact, connection, and reconciliation still moves me to reach out. But sadly, my text messages and phone calls go unreturned. My invitations for meetup go, meetups go unacknowledged. And his once frequent reach outs to check in on me, his mother who raised him as a single parent, are but a distant memory. No matter the circumstance, the interminable suffering of ambiguous loss defies resolution, creates long-term uncertainty about the relationship, and freezes the grief process, according to Pauline Boss. And, and those are words that are straight from her uh, from her uh, webpage and blog site. So uh, <clears throat> in all transparency, those are her words, and they, they just so aptly capture the feeling. Yet unlike death, whereby mourners receive confirmation of the loss and support through funerals, burials, and gatherings, none exist for unresolved loss. So often, we who experience estrangement never see it coming. Only after a prolonged silence, separation, and isolation do we realize the exquisitely painful loss of the cherished relationship we once knew. Hence, like an unsuspecting moth captured in a jar, we find ourselves trapped in the suffocating reality of ambiguous loss. We see our human swarm living interconnected lives, oblivious to the invisible suffering, separating our reality from theirs. In numbness and shock, we expend untold energy attempting to escape the misery of separation. In yearning to restore the relationship, we resort to bargaining with our creator, ourselves, and the aggrieved party. In anger, we deny, deflect, defend, and dismiss our role in the conflict. Finally, in anguish, we deplete our mental, emotional, and spiritual reserves for coping and descend into hopelessness and despair. Alas, like the entrapped moth whose spirit succumbs to the oxygen depletion, the light of our being fades in the reality of the depleted relationship, the oxygen that once breathed life, love, and interconnection into our hearts. 
How can we move forward amidst the interminable torment of estrangement by a parent, child, or partner with whom we once shared a fulfilling relationship? I like to offer some insight based on my experience of, of ambiguous loss by estrangement. First and foremost, hold yourself in loving self-kindness. Your loss is real and your grief is bottomless. Whether you recognize what caused the shift or have no clue, berating yourself over what you could have, should have, or might have done is moot. As the reality of the estrangement sets in, you may experience recurring bouts of guilt, shame, ignorance, naivety, anguish, anger, sadness, despair, worry, yearning, and a host of other complicated, overwhelming feelings. The overwhelm of such feelings, especially when repressed, suppressed, dismissed, or denied over time, can derail your emotional metal for coping. Carve out a set amount of time each day to meditate and just sit with your feelings in non-judgmental, loving self-kindness. Forgive your loved one. Every human being is flawed, fragile, broken, and wounded. The person who estranged you may have issues of which you are unaware, and they may not have the emotional capacity for the relationship they once shared with you. Likewise, they may not have the emotional intelligence or maturity to confront you about their grievance. The person may not recognize their lack of emotional capacity or maturity. Thus, they see estrangement as their only protective defense mechanism. Forgive your loved one in your heart and in your prayers. Forgive them when gazing at their picture and forgive them when remembering the joyful moments of your relationship. Forgiveness might not heal the estranged, but it can heal us who suffer the estrangement. So too, recognize that your loved one may suffer similar complicated feelings about ending the relationship with, without, without ending the relationship without closure. Forgive yourself. You are human. Whether it was a series of micro hurts, a cataclysmic circumstance, or an unknown rift that shifted the relationship, forgive yourself. You had needs that for whatever reason you could not express or the other person could not meet or vice versa. It takes two persons to nourish a relationship and two to make it wither. Indeed, you may never know what drove your loved one to choose estrangement over relationship. Forgiving yourself is the first step in arriving at some degree of acceptance and peace in processing concomitant grief of ambiguous loss. And finally, seek community. Seek community with others who live with ambiguous loss by estrangement. Like the moth trapped in the jar, we who suffer alienation sadly so often do so in isolation, amplifying the loss of our human interconnection. And finally, move toward the light. As the shock of estrangement wanes gently and with great self-compassion, begin looking at the parts of yourself that reflect your authentic essence and those that no longer reflect who you are. Direct your focus to nurture the best parts about yourself 
and aim to surrender those that no longer serve you. And so as you live in the reality of ambiguous grief, may you once again find the light of your being through healing, community, and the oxygen of new human interconnections. I'd like to read the quotes as well. Uh, sure. Um, I have I found some quotes that I think are are so relevant uh, to this to this painful issue. Um, one from Khalil Gibran, and I just I Khalil Gibran is one of my favorite uh, poets and writers. Um, he writes, "I am a stranger in this world, and there is a severe solitude and painful lonesomeness in my exile." That's from Khalil Gibran, the treasured writings of Khalil Gibran. Um, Joseph Powell, author of The Secret of Staying in Love, it is an absolute human certainty that no one can know his own beauty or perceive a sense of his worth until it has been reflected back to him in the mirror of another loving, caring human being. And I think of, uh, of the, the quotes that I included here, this is the one that, uh, this quote by John Joseph Powell in Secret of Staying in Love, this resonates with me the most. Um, here are a few others. To be soul broken is to be filled with anguish that is brought on by the loss of our love, our relationship and ourselves. And often it is void of validation. If you know this pain, my deepest sympathies to you, not only for your loss, but for how you've been hurting. Quote by Stephanie Sarzin from her book, Soul Broken, a guidebook for your journey through ambiguous grief. Um, a quote about exile. Um, this really paints a painful picture of estrangement. Exile is strangely compelling to think about, but terrible to experience. It is the unhealable rift forced between a human being and a native place between the self and its true home. Its essential sadness can never be surmounted. And while it is true that nature, that literature and history contain heroic, romantic, glorious, even triumphant episodes in an exile's life, these are no more than efforts meant to overcome the crippling sorrow of estrangement. Penned by Edward W. Said in Reflections on Exile and Other Essays. From A.A. Patwaran, he says, I'm afraid your memories of me are unfair. What in eight, eight words, he pretty much sums up the experience of estrangement, <laughs> how we feel that, that the only thing they remember about us are the bad things and the lifetime of good memories that we, the, the fun of great memories seems to have been erased. Um, that was from A.A. Patwaran in Manila was a long time ago. And a final quote from uh, Pauline Boss in The Myth of Closure, Ambiguous Loss in a Time of Pandemic and Change. She writes, I intentionally hold the opposing ideas of absence and presence because I have learned that most relationships are indeed both. Yeah.
Do you want to read out the questions? Uh, here? Sure. sure. So I, in, in composing this blog post, um, a few questions arose, um, you know, as, as I was mulling this over. Ambiguous loss can encompass other types of loss beyond relationships. Um, and, and we have to ask, have, have others experienced ambiguous loss around unrealized hopes, dreams, goals, um, as well as an ambiguous loss around disappointments, such as unexpected loss of a job, health, career, home, lifestyle, stage of life, or group of friends? Did you feel isolated in that no one seemed to notice or understand the depth of your grief? And, and I think uh, in the experience of estrangement, this is probably the most painful facet of estrangement is that it's invisible pain. <laughs> um, other food for thought here, have you ended a relationship without offering the other person an opportunity for closure? Over time, have you considered how the other person has processed the unresolved loss, uh, the unresolved closure? and how you have processed or chosen not to process the loss of the relationship. And finally, have you considered reconciling with the, the estranged person directly or indirectly? Now, of course, we who are, who are uh, alienated or, or abandoned, of course we try and we don't get a response, but this question is aimed at the person who walked away from the relationship um, if, if, if that's something you've done in your life, have you considered how you might reconnect? What would what would motivate you to to want to reconnect or what would motivate you to at least um, to at least give it closure? Hmm. Um, and, and of course, after I I posted I posted this, I thought of um, an add on to that question. You know what? What is not only what is your hesitancy or fear, but could you envision? Can you envision your life moving forward in the current state of of not of no closure versus a state of closure? Uh, so that that pretty much sums up my experience of estrangement, which I never. I never saw it coming. My my son and yeah. I had a wonderful relationship, and this just just out of the blue. Yeah. Um, got some questions. Um, did anybody come alongside you? Um, friends, family, and offer, um, you know, companionship. Well, not really. <laughs> Not really, which amplifies the feeling of isolation. Um, and every situation of estrangement is different and has a different context and different background. But uh, what was most painful is my son did not estrange the entire family. It's just me. Oh. He's still oh. a business partner with my nephew. He's He he brings his children, he and his wife bring their children for Christmas holiday to my sister's house to have holiday at her house, even though she lives five blocks away. <laughs> Um, they, they, they invite, you know, her side of the family for family gatherings. Um, I'm not invited. 
<laughs> so it's it's salt in the wound. So as far as support from family, um, yeah, they okay. because he has a relationship with them. They say, well, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do wrong? You must have done something wrong because he doesn't have a problem with us. So it's the yeah. victim shaming. You know, I don't want to say I'm a victim because. Um, and then friends, unless unless a person has experienced estrangement, they don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just, you know, you can see their eyes glaze over if you start to talk about it, you know, for the first time in six months. Um, they'll nod and zone out and say, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. So that it's you know, friends aren't necessarily a source of support. I have found some some support in online communities. Um, I listed a website, um, What's Your Grief, um, which which is a website dedicated to to people who experience grief beyond the grief that fall that follows um, like the physical death. Um, yeah. And the, in fact, the website says, you know, a website for those, the rest of us who grieve, you know, uh, you know, our culture and, and by necessity, when someone physically dies, there's so much support and there are, there are rituals and a funeral and, and burials yeah. and memorials. And there's how, how can you grieve something that, that never happened? Like the person hasn't died, you know, it's your relationship. Go back and fix it. You know, I mean, um, so unless someone has experienced it, there's not a lot of support that, that can be found. I don't, that's, that hasn't been my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find, um, like with most grief situations, it sort of comes and goes as dark and then re reduces for a while um, or just hits you out of a sudden, you know, out of the blue. Do you find that with this type oh, of grief? Oh, and you know, the trajectory of grief by unresolved closure, I mean, it follows the same traje trajectory. You know, in nursing, there's nursing, nursing theories of grief. You know, there's there's the denial, the anger, the bargaining, and then okay. the, finally the acceptance. And it follows the same trajectory and it's not linear. It's all over at any time. Yep. it's unpredictable you know like similar to people who have lost someone by death the holidays when you see every, your human swarm all gathering and yeah you know and yeah. those human connections um church is a hard one you go to church and everyone's there with their family and the happy couples and the grandparents with their children grandchildren and yeah. and you know sunday mornings for weeks on end can be you know can be my greatest spiritual battle is it like why do I why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I have I have been able to find some solace in probably some unconventional ways um, besides uh, online communities, and and one is um, through the gospel narrative, which which actually can speak to people who aren't Christian um, or Catholic, uh, but there are two particular. Um, gospel narratives that I think apply in the experience of estrangement. Yeah. One is um, when Jesus was found in the temple at age 12. Um, everybody had to go to Jerusalem to participate in Caesar's census. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph packed up their donkey and went with their community to Jerusalem. They did what they had to do. 
And then they were headed mm. back. Jesus got lost. They didn't realize it for a day. You know, when we think, how could you not know you, you forgot your kid? But back then, yeah. they probably traveled in large groups of people. And yes, he was probably, they, probably, yes. they probably thought he was back there with the neighbors, you know, with the neighbor mm. kids. So anyway, but for three days, they raced back to Jerusalem. They scoured the city. And they were at wit's mm. end. And if anyone has lost their young child in the supermarket over by the bananas, you know, three aisles away, you know the sheer terror. Mm. Okay. Mm. And and this is this is us in our era of you know video cameras and cell phones and security guards and amber alerts. And this is all we can tolerate. But can you imagine you know uh, the scenarios that went yep. through their mind? And this would be akin yep. to estrangement by kidnapping or, or by just sudden disappearance. Um, yeah. So I seek solace in that narrative in that, yes, they were panicked parents and they worried and they hoped it was okay and that they would find him. And yet what kept them going was a trust in, in a higher power, a trust that even if we don't find him, we're going to get through this. We'll get to the other side we don't know what the other side looks like or That's what so the values you have to travail through, but we will mm. get to the other side. So this faith that they will keep doing the best they can, even though the hours are dark. That's one that that's a concrete gospel narrative that I lean on quite a bit. Wonderful. The other one, the other one is not so set in stone. So the last time we hear of Jesus in the gospels was when the, his parents found him in the temple at age 12. And he says, Oh, I'm a, you know, I need to be about my father's business, but he goes home and does, you know, he's a good son. We don't hear about Jesus again until he's 30 years old and, and starts his public ministry. So right. there's all sorts of, um, uh, you know, theories proposed about, well, what, what did yeah. Jesus do for 18 years? Did he work at the shop? Did he just walk away? Did he disappear? Did he go to the, did he go to Tibetan monastery and learn from the monks? You know, did he just hang out with his friends on the shore? What, like, what did he do? Nobody knows. I would guess, though, that he probably didn't stick around in his mom's basement and work in the shop until he was 30. He, pro he probably he probably left Nazareth for weeks or months on end. Um, to go to go discover who he was. Um, he probably mm -hmm. did say, I, I, I need to leave the shop and go find out who I am. And he was probably gone for months, maybe years. And this is before our the instant gratification of our social media, smartphones, instant communication culture that we have now. So imagine Mary, even if he just said, hey, I'm going to the next town for a couple of days. I'll be back when I get back. Can you imagine no way to communicate, no way to know if he's okay. Um, and you, she, she just had to have trust that he was going about his father's business now at the age of 20 or whatever. And he was figuring out what he's supposed to do with his life. Now, how does that apply to my son? Well, maybe my son is going through an individuation process as well. Yes. In that he's trying to figure out, you know, I need to be a devoted husband. I need to take care of my children. You know, I, I love you, but right now I can't, we can't work through whatever issues we have. I'm just going to have to set this on the shelf for the time being and be about the, the business 
of, of the arc of trajectory of human development in, in which all of us go through, we hope, anyway, in figuring out who we are and that we're not necessarily who our parents told us we were or our friends or our culture or the stories I told myself. I have to go figure it out myself and I can't do it without the, the static or the expectation um, mm. from this relationship. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I've tried to frame it. <laughs> you got to have frames. You got to have, and the, and the gospel and the Bible does offer us frames for everything probably that we experience in life, which is so good. Um, Peggy, it's just been wonderful having you read it out in a conversation. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure everybody that listens and has watched this has found it really informational and helpful. And uh, we will hold you and um, continue to pray for your situation. Yeah. So thank you very much. All and right. um, thank you. People, if you want to read the post, the post will be down in the show notes at the bottom of the the episode. And if you want me want to uh, pass on a message to Peggy, just email me. Uh, the link for my email address is down in the bottom of the show notes, and I'll pass it on to Peggy. Hey, thanks very much, everybody, and until next time, God be with you. Bye. All right. Thank you. Thank you.